Welcome to I Don't Need an Acting Class with Milton Justice. Tennessee, oddly enough, was very, very fascinated with people on the bottom. He hung out in saloons. It's like, I mean, this was Tennessee. Hung out in saloons. There was sanatoriums and illness and lobotomies, and it was it was all like part of everything. I love doing this. So I was having dinner with Edward Albee one night. Anyway, I'm sorry, and. So I was talking about Tennessee, and Edward said, ah, Tennessee was a drunk. And, of course, I thought, you know, fuck you, Edward. But it was true. I mean, but it was it was true. He, he you know, he it was always like that. But oddly enough, he got up every morning at 5 a.m. and wrote until 10 and I, you know, and I thought, God, if I had actors that did that, you know, I could change the world. But he did it every, every, no matter how hungover he was. There's a wonderful book called The Mind of the South. And if you're ever really doing an, a, an intense study, and if you're doing a Tennessee Williams play, it's good to read this book called The Mind of the South. In fact, I love this book. I, I gave it to Stella. I checked it out of the library, the New York library, and gave it to Stella. I said, you should read this book. And she was so fascinated with this book, she never gave it back to me. And so I had overdue fines, and I finally paid for the book. And I just said, well, you know, what am I going to do? Say, Stella, could I have my book back? I checked it out of the library. I think she just assumed I gave it to her. But there's a fascinating story, which I will send to you, um, about someone who bought some land in the Carolinas and his wife learned how to put together cotton and then he bought more land and he bought more land and then eventually he had a small empire and uh, around him big houses were built and and then and then of course then suddenly, Somebody became a gentleman of the old school, and then it all began to die out. But that was the beginning of the ruling class in the South. So, it, I mean, it's a very, it's a fascinating story. I mean, the truth of the matter is, if you go through the South, nobody knows they lost the war. Nobody knows they lost the war. You know, there's still Robert E. Lee High School. I mean, you know, to me, that's that that is, Robert E. Lee High School is saying, yes, I go to Adolf Hitler High. You know, I mean, it's like, I, I mean, what is this? And it's all part of this mentality. But but this is this dangerous mentality that is part of this thinking and that this is what they're losing. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, look how these people are fighting. I mean, they can't think it's moral. And they keep saying it's part of our heritage. And, of course, that's when I keep saying, yes, but they don't have any Hitler statues in Germany. But you see how now they're fighting because they feel as if 
this heritage, which is absolutely blown up in their mind as something that it's not. That's what this is. That's what this is. That is what happens when in your mind is the plantation. And now you're living in a back alley in St. Louis. And you, in order to get there, you have to go up a fire escape. And that's where you, you, you are mentally still on the plantation. And people moved to St. Louis. It was slightly out of desperation. It was a place where both black men and white men could get work. And so you move to this middle area called St. Louis. St. Louis even sounds bad. I know people love it. But to me, it's right in the middle of the country. I'm sorry. I don't have to confess to most of you, but I'm something of a snob. I find that I have flown over the middle of the country, and that's close enough. So it's, you know, it, it's, but I mean, it's like this, this land. I mean, what do you know about them? Even the accents are flat. So it's, it's like, I mean, I give Tamara a bad time about being from Canada, but really. So these people with this mentality, do, do you all have a sense of, of a past, of a mentality? There is this feeling of history. Teo's from Slovenia, which used to be Yugoslavia. He's talking to his mother on the phone, and she talks about if Tito were still in power, we wouldn't have a problem about vaccines. We'd just get them. You know, it's like people get very defensive about their homeland. You know, they feel a sense of heritage. I don't, but then I grew up in Texas. When people want to piss on Texas, I add to it. But, I mean, that's the whole thing. So imagine that you are bringing into this world this mental life of the plantation and where you're living is in a back alley, up a fire escape. Then we're going to add to that something even worse is that Tom is an artist. This is this is almost a cruel fate. I'm telling you this. It's difficult because it's not like you fit in. You always are on the outside. And the father has left. He was a telephone man that fell in love with long distance and never returned. And so you are this character called Tom, who is an artist who gets in trouble, eventually will be fired because he was writing poetry on the back of shoeboxes. You know, you think being an actor and working in a, in a restaurant is bad. Imagine that you're a writer and you are stuck in a shoe factory and you have to make enough money to support the mother and the sister. And so that all becomes part of this world. I, I'm, I'm telling you about this and referencing the entire plot because 
it's uh, the more that I do the script analysis, I, uh, I, I realize we need a whole plot in order to know what's going on when the play starts. Because the play does not start from the first line. The play has already started, and then we talk. So, I mean, that's an important thing to understand, is that I come on stage with the entire play there. Now, the issue here that's an important issue is that it's not just that I know the facts. The important thing to understand is that we are aiming towards the experience of the facts. It is more difficult than you can possibly imagine to discipline yourself to talk about the facts of the play as if they are the experience of what you're talking about. It is like, well, there's nothing worse than reading the newspaper these days nothing worse. And if you read about the war in Ukraine, it is really depressing, but it is even more depressing if you read about it and have the tendency that I do to suddenly, as I'm reading about it, I become one of those people. But that's what you need in acting. I've had to be selective because otherwise I read the Times the first thing in the morning and I'm so depressed that I have to go back to bed. But you know what I mean? If that is what you're trying to get to as an actor. That's not all, but it's helpful. So I, I, just to talk about Tom a little, Tom is working. Tom is a writer. Tom will one day be Tennessee Williams. And it's really interesting to me that he is, and he says it at the beginning, it is a memory play which I just think is, God, so phenomenal. The concept of writing a memory play. As soon as he says that it is in memory, and he, and he tells you that and something that happens in memory has about it your own view of it, often rewritten. Now, we kind of know that. Uh, in a sense... We have our own memories, and if we tell the stories of our memories, they are based on an idea. So that's something that tells me that I need to figure out what that is in this play. But the fact is that I know that it is a memory play, and that because it's a memory play, like my memory, when I tell people about my memories, they are slightly warped by what the point I'm trying to make when I tell the story. So that tells me it'll be a really good idea if I can figure out what Tennessee's trying to say with all of this. And look, here's the thing. Don't feel as if you're doing an audition for Glass Menagerie and it's tomorrow. It takes time. If you want to do these great plays, and I don't know an actor who doesn't. I've never met an actor who said to me, well, I just want to be mediocre. And in fact, anybody who says, no, I just want a job, gets a job, and then they're unhappy 
because they say, well, what I'd really like to do is a great play. You just have to understand if you want to achieve the heights of a play like Glass Menagerie, you have to think about it for a while. You have to let it gestate. We let it simmer. We just like think about it. When we're washing the dishes or something, I was folding clothes thinking about Tennessee Williams. and I was just kind of folding clothes slowly in rhythm and just thinking about Tennessee and thinking about this life that this man led. And just thinking about all of that and just trying to like let his world give me something. Tennessee is fascinated with the people that don't fit in. People who are wounded. People who are bruised. People who life is insurmountable. And they will never get out of it. I mean, Laura... in glass menagerie, is someone who cannot handle the world. She has escaped into her little glass animals. And I thought about that at one point. I thought, they're so delicate and they're so little. I mean, imagine the amount of time that she spends cleaning them and polishing and talking to them, and they all have names. She is so unable to live in the world, and God, and her mother wants, her her mother wants her to have part of what her mother's memory is of 17 gentlemen callers. She wants this for Laura, And so she has in mind how to help Laura. And so the whole idea is she enrolls her in a secretarial school so she can learn typing. And Laura is incapable of being in that circumstance. And she vomits on the typewriter. And she never comes back. There's a scene also we won't do, but it's just, it's a horrifying scene when mother, when Amanda comes back in from stopping by the school to see what she's done, how she's doing. And they said she never, oh, that shy girl, she never came back. And then she said to her, so where were you all day? Well, she was walking around. I had this vision once. I was, and here's the thing. It's like, you know, I mean, listen, I think, am I moving too fast? Okay. So, but, but do you see, I mean, listen, I don't have a very organized mind, but do you see how I wander? You have to allow yourself to wander. You all happen to be stuck with my journey on this play, but this is how I wander. As soon as I remembered the plot, and I, and it, you know, and, and so I read it, and I knew the plot, I knew what we were working on, but I didn't want to work too much on it because I wanted us to sort of discover this. And as soon as I, I got to the plot, and it said that she, you know, where was she all day? And so I start wondering about where she was. And so I wonder her past a school 
where the kids are playing basketball or probably dodgeball and they're throwing the ball and it goes over the fence and lands in front of Laura and they say throw us the ball throw us the ball throw us the ball and I just my image of Laura standing with children yelling at her throw us the ball and just standing there but you see what I mean? And, and it's just because this is how I give myself permission to wander, quite frankly. And so when something hits me, then I don't, I don't edit it. I don't stop and say, well, I'm not working on that scene. I'm working on another scene. Or I haven't gotten to that scene yet. I mean, hell, whatever happens. Because this is my period where I'm letting myself go where the hell I want. And often, I don't do it so much anymore, uh, but man, when I first worked this way, you have no idea how many times I went down the wrong road. Oh my God. It was just, I mean, it was just like I'd get down this road and I'd think, hmm, I don't think I'm going to take Laura to the cinema eating popcorn. You know, it's just like, it's just like suddenly it wasn't fitting this play. It wasn't going to help me in this play. So you say, okay, I'm going down the wrong road. You know, keep in mind the joy of a play. Unlike life, when we're working on a play, we have a reset button. In life, of course, we don't. By the way, we will get to the script. It's kind of a joke in my class now. Are we ever getting to the script? Listen, when I had the first class with Stella and we did this work, I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. I thought, oh my God, this is... I'm not looking... When I pick up a script, I'm not looking at the enemy. I'm looking at this cool adventure I'm about to go on. Hey everybody, it's Walker Vreeland, producer of I Don't Need an Acting Class. The podcast is conceived and hosted by Milton Justice, and our music is provided by Jeffrey Keezer. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. And thanks so much for listening.